we will go ahead and dismiss our children this morning to Kids Church. As our kids are dismissed, we encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. If you notice, we are moving very, very quickly through 1 Samuel. Uh, It took us three years to go through the book of Matthew. Uh, We're already in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, uh, and that's that's uh, there's there's a reason for that. Uh, By nature, narrative passages move more quickly. You're you're able to take big chunks uh, of the passage. If you notice, we're we're looking at 20 and 30 verses at a time. As we were walking through Matthew, sometimes we would spend uh, an entire Sunday looking at three or four verses. That's just the nature of the text. Uh, but I do want to uh, caution you, we are going to slow down here in the next couple of weeks uh, as we get into, uh, we're going to be introduced over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be introduced to David, uh, we're going to be introduced to, uh, we're going to hear the David and Goliath story, uh, we're going to hear uh, and we're going to see the conflict between David and Saul and the relationship between David and Jonathan. Uh, today, uh, I'm going to ask that you just Uh, that you buckle up and just stay with me uh, because there's a lot that we're going to try and cover this morning. Uh, uh, For full disclosure, I probably should have broken this text up into two sermons, uh, but uh, I didn't. So uh, so we're going to we're we're just going to plow through. There's a couple of really deep. uh, uh, We're going to wade in the deep end of the pool for a little bit, but that's okay uh, because uh, we're going to come back and we're going to end at the cross. And so 1 Samuel chapter 15, again, this is a a long passage. I want to encourage you to read the full passage. We're only going to look at a couple of of excerpts this morning, Uh, but I want to remind you that that, uh, we'll be preaching through the full passage of 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, 1 through 35, but I'm only going to read a handful of verses. 1 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has, and do not spare him, But put to death both man and woman and child and infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Skip down to verse 7. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah. As you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt, and he captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all of the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, and the lambs, all that was good, they were not willing to destroy them, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and called out to the Lord all night long. Skip down to verse 19. 
Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what is evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went out onto the mission which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoils, sheep and oxen, and the choices of things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as of the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you for being king over Israel. Let's pray. God, may we see your word this morning. May we see your right hand of judgment. May we see your holy judgment. And may we driven, be driven to repentance. God, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and that we would hear from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, like I said, there's a lot that we're going to try and digest here this morning. Uh, disobedience or rebellion uh, is how I have titled this morning's message. And I've done so because I think we oftentimes dismiss our sin and dismiss our, our rebellion against God as simply failure or disobedience. We say, oh, well, you know, I, I made a mistake. I, I, was, I was disobedient. And we fail to realize that disobedience to God is the same as rebellion against God. And we're going we're gonna to look at that in just a few moments. But I pray that as you leave here today, that you will leave here with a heart of obedience, that you will leave here with the desire to obey the Lord. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting light. But if you get to the end of John chapter 3, you read verse 36, and it said, He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, and the wrath of God abides upon him. And so we understand that, that obedience and belief are, are intricately tied together. If you believe it's raining outside, what are you going to do? You're going to get an umbrella. If you believe it's raining outside, you're going to send your husband to go pick up the car and pick you up under the overhang. Why? Because you believe if it's raining, you're going to get wet. Because you will. Belief is intricately tied to actions. If you if you believe it's raining outside, it will affect how you behave. If you believe you have cancer, you are going to follow the appropriate treatment that the oncologist prescribes for you because you, are, because you believe that you're dying. And so you will do whatever it takes. You will, you will subject yourself to chemotherapy. You will inject poison into your body and hoping that it will kill the cancer cells. No one rationally injects poison into their body other than for the sake that, that, that they believe it will help them. Belief is tied 
to obedience. And so if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, if we believe that God is who he says he is, then we will by, by circumstance, by natural default, we will obey what he says. And so I pray that whenever you leave today, that you will be compelled to obey God. Now, I want to point, uh, I want to point out there is a paradox in this text. And, and as I read it, as I read it, uh, there should have been something that, that, that gave you a, a theological heartburn that, 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 that just didn't sit right with you. Uh, if you go with me, if you look at Genesis chapter, I'm sorry, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 11, there was something that, that jumped off the page. And in Genesis, in Gen- we're going to Genesis, that's why I keep saying Genesis. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 11, God said, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me, and he has not carried out my commands. Do you remember the correspondence between Samuel and God? Whenever Samuel said, Samuel told God, he said, he said, but but Israel is crying out for a king. Don't give them a king. God, you are designed to be their king. And, and there was this argument that Samuel and Saul had. I'm sorry, the, the, that Samuel and God had. And God told Samuel, he said, he said, I'm God. I'm going to anoint them a king, and this is the God. And so, so here we have Samuel pleading with God for God to be there, for God to be the king over Israel. And, and God says, I am going to give them over to their desires. I'm going to give them a king like all the other nations. And now we see in verse 11, God says, I regret that I made Saul king over Israel. Does this confuse anyone? Does, 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 this ought to provide for you some, some theological, some doctrinal uh, uh, consternation. It, it ought to be difficult for us because is not God king? Is not God sovereign? Is not God the author and creator of all things? Did not, does not God know the beginning simultaneously from the end and simultaneously God is in control of all things? Yes. And so how is it that, that God says, I regret that I made Saul king? Well, let's look at the text very carefully, and I want us to point out something very clearly. God says in verse 11, I regret that I have made Saul king for, that's a big for, because he has turned his back from following me and has not carried out my commands. I want us to understand that God is not changing his mind. This is an anthropomorphic term. And anthropomorphism is whenever we attribute human attributes to a divine being. Whenever whenever we say words like the right arm of the Lord, whenever we say words like the anger of the Lord or the joy of the Lord, those are anthropomorphic terms. Those Those are terms that we give, human terms, so that we can understand God, that we attribute to God because God is so completely other and so completely holy and we are striving to know him. And so the scripture tells us very clearly that God regretted or was sorrowful or was grieved in his spirit that he had made Saul king. Why? Because Saul had turned his back on God. This is a divine sorrow over a human sin. 
Genesis chapter 6, we see a very similar statement by God. In Genesis chapter 6, this is not God repenting. This is not God admitting that, that, that I have sinned. Because we know that God is, is completely holy and, and God is, is incapable of sinning. But this is a divine response to human sin. Divine sorrow, divine grief over human sin. Genesis chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. And the Lord was sorry, and the Lord had divine sorrow, grief. The Lord was sorry, same, same Hebrew word. The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have, command, whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky, and I'm sorry that I have made them. Why? Verse 5 says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man, and it was great upon the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were continuously on evil. This is a divine response to human sin. God is not, God is not repenting over sin, but God is divinely sorrowful. He is grieved in his spirit over human sin. I want us to, I'm pointing this out because I want us to understand that God is not a, a, a cold, meticulous statue up in the heavens that, 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 that he, is a, he is an emotional being and that he is grieved deeply over our sin and grieved deeply over the state of Saul and grieved deeply over the state of man, so much so that he became man himself that he put on sin himself, that he died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and rose victorious over sin in the grave. God is deeply moved by the sin of his people. And so I wanted to, to, to hopefully shed a little light. If, if you're still struggling with this, good. Continue to struggle with this. Wrestle with this. It's okay to wrestle with the deep theological truths of God's Word. All right, let's, let's, let's move on. As we read 1 Samuel 15, we see that, that God gives Saul a very specific instruction. And for many of us, this is very difficult to hear. God tells Saul, he says, go into the land of the Amalekites, go to Amalek, and wipe them out. Completely destroy them. Every man, every woman, every child, every ox, every camel, every donkey, wipe them out. And for us, that seems to be, that's hard. That's harsh. But I want us to understand that God's judgment is just, God's judgment is right, that God is holy, and that God is solely able to, to execute judgment. God is the only one who is right and holy when he executes judgment because God's character, his very nature is holy. His very nature is right and he cannot abide wickedness. Romans chapter 12 verse 19 tells us this. In Romans chapter 12 verse 19, God speaks about his holiness. He speaks about his righteousness and he says this, In Romans chapter 12, 
verse 19, God says this. He says, never take your own vengeance, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. God says this because he understands that he is the only one who is able to justly and rightly and holy, and holily, if that's a word, to execute judgment. When we execute judgment or wrath or vengeance, we do so out of our own selfish desires. Somebody's mean to us, so we want to get them back. Somebody does us wrong, so we want to do wrong to them. Somebody hurts us, so we want to hurt them. God's justice and God's judgment is right and holy and just. And he says, let the just judge be the executioner. Now, this still may be difficult for us. But I want us to understand that God is fulfilling his promise that he has made years and years ago. Now, God has given the Amalekites about 300 years to repent. He gave them chance after chance after chance. Deuteronomy chapter 25. You say, where are you going with this, preacher? Deuteronomy chapter 25. God says, after Israel comes out of the, nation of, uh, out of the land of Egypt... They are traveling along. They haven't even got to the land of Sinai yet. And they are, they're traveling along. And as they are traveling along, the Amalekites come and they begin to pick off the weak. They begin to pick off the infirmed. They begin to pick off and they begin to slaughter the Israelites in the wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 through 19. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt and how he met you along the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies and the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven you must not forget. The judgment of God is right. The judgment of God is just. The judgment of God is holy. If God were not a holy God, this would be, this would be hard to read, but I want us to understand that God is holy. That is His very nature. That is His very essence of his very character that is holy and right. And so when God exercises judgment and wrath, it is done so in a way that is holy and just. I also want to point out to you that had God not destroyed the Amalekites, God would not be right and just. You say, but he would be gracious. Or he would be unjust. I have three beautiful children who always do what their dad tells them to do. They're never disobedient. One of my favorite times with my kids is bedtime. And for those of you who are moms and dads, you can identify with this. You tell your kids to go to bed. All of a sudden, when you tell them to go to bed, they remember everything else that you told them to do that they had not done. And that moment is the day that, that is the moment that they're going to do what they what, what, what you had told them to do. You tell them to go to bed, it's 8.30, it's 9 o'clock, you walk in, all of a sudden they're cleaning their room. Why? Because, well, Mom, you told me to clean my room. 
and so I don't want to go to bed, so I'm going to clean my room. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, now they're, you know, it's time to you know, brush their teeth and floss their teeth and, and rinse with the mouthwash. And, and well, you, you told them to fold the laundry and you told them to, to, to clean the bathroom. And you, all of a sudden, they're going to think of anything and everything. All of a sudden, they forgot they had homework that they had to do. All of a sudden, they forgot that they needed to, 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 to send, this, uh, send this email to a teacher. All of a sudden, they come up with excuse after excuse after excuse. Why? Because you told them to go to bed, right? Well, after they get out of their bed about the 17th time, you make this statement. If you get out of your bed one more time, has anybody ever had that, made that statement? If you get out of the bed one more time, you're getting a spanking. If you get out of the bed one more time, no more TV the rest of the week. If you get out of the bed one more time, you're grounded. And what do they do? They test you. They get out of bed. And then now, you are... You are, there's this internal conflict because you really don't want to spank them. You just wanted them to go to bed. For the love of God, just go to bed. It's now 10.30 at night and I just want to sleep. And now you're, you're in this, this moral and ethical conundrum because now if you don't spank them, well, they've just called your bluff and they know that you're a liar. But if you do spank them, well... I didn't, want to, I didn't want to ground you. I didn't want to spank. I didn't want to take away TV. Because I know if I take away TV, that just means i got to entertain you. <laughs> you know, we didn't want to follow through with what we said. But if we don't follow through with what we've said, then we as parents become unethical. We as parents become the ones who have communicated to our children, I don't do what I say I'm going to. When God made the statement to the Amalekites, when God made the statement to Israel, I will will pronounce judgment on the Amalekites for what they have done, God has to, He has to, by His very nature, do what He said He's going to do. Because He's not like us. He doesn't say, well, I I know I told you last night that that you couldn't watch TV, but but, go ahead and watch Spongebob. God's not like us. He is right and holy. and He does what he said he's going to do. So whenever God said, because of Amalekites' transgression, because I have given them 300 years to repent, because I have given them 300 years to cry out for mercy, and they have continued to, to, to thumb their nose in my face and continue to be, be a thorn in the side of Israel and continue to attack Israel and continue to be a degradation to the people, I will execute judgment that God is right and holy when he exercises that judgment. Now, Saul comes in, and Saul exercises the judgment of God. And as he exercises the judgment of God, Saul thinks and has convinced himself that he has done rightly. If you go back and you look at the text, Saul shows up and he says to Samuel, He shows up, he puffs out his chest, he picks up his head, he said, took care of those Amalekites. In fact, I got King Agag. He's in handcuffs. He's with my my guards, smiling ear to ear, chest puffed out. About that time, Samuel hears the, the neighing of sheep. He hears the lowing of cattle. He says, uh, Saul, 
we got a problem. He says, what's the problem? He says, God said destroy everything. He says, yeah, but I brought the king. He says, yeah, but, but what are all these animals? He says, oh, well, well, I brought the best back. I brought the fattest calves, and I brought the, 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 the sheep, the choicest of the sheep. And I brought the ox, and I brought, I brought everything that was the greatest. Anything that was worthless, I completely destroyed. But all the good stuff I brought, and I did it for God. And Samuel said, that's not what God wanted. He didn't want these sacrifices. He wanted to utterly and completely destroy. He wanted to exercise judgment. He did not want a sacrifice. Saul tries to convince himself that his failure, his disobedience is for the Lord. How many of us have done that? How many of us have tried to convince ourselves that my sin, my failure, my mistake, my gossip, my fill-in-the-blank is for God? for the church it's for his glory it's for the best interest of my family God's word is a manifestation of his character it is a manifestation of his authority and to disobey any aspect of God's word is to thumb your nose at God's authority and God's sovereignty and it's not disobedience but is rebellion Saul told God I know what's better. I know your word says destroy everything. I know your prophet came to me and said completely wipe out everything, but I know what's better. I know what's best. I am going to take and I'm going to keep the best for me and for the Lord and for my people. When we're disobedient to God, we must understand that it is not simple disobedience, it is rebellion against God. It is to to thumb your nose at the authority and the revealed will of God and say, I know your word says this, but I know what's better for me in my life. Whenever God's word says, flee sexual immorality. Whenever God's word says says that, that, that homosexuality is an abomination. Whenever God's word tells us what is true and what is right, whenever God's word tells us that he who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery in her heart, when he who looks at his brother with hatred in his heart has already committed murder, whenever God's word tells us what is right and what is true and we disobey it or we disregard it and say it's antiquated, it doesn't make sense, it's not applicable to my life, what we are saying is that I know better than the sovereign authoritative God. And that is not disobedience, that is rebellion. And we need to not confuse the two. We need to not convince ourselves that, oh well, I just made a mistake. No. You knew what was right. And you told God, I want to do what I want to do anyway. That is the ultimate form of idolatry. I am my own God. 
I know what's best for me. My pleasure, my desires, my wants, my needs are above all else. We must see sin as God sees sin. Saul says, I did it for God. I want us to understand that no justification is adequate. God does not desire external devotion but internal submissions in samuel first samuel chapter 15 we see him god speaks through samuel to saul and reminds saul of the essential truth of god's desire look at verse 22 and verse 23 has the lord much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the verse of the lord behold to obey is better than sacrifice to heed than the fat of rams. Look at verse 23. I think we stop at verse 22 and we forget verse 23. He says, For rebellion is the same as the sin of divination. And many of us read that and we say, I don't know what that means, preacher. That's pagan worship. Samuel tells Saul, You might as well slaughter these animals and offer them to the god Baal. Slaughter these animals and offer them up to Ashtaroth. Slaughter these animals and offer them up to the Philistine god Dagon. Because rebellion, disobedience to God, is the same as worshiping these pagan gods. Because you have rejected the word of the God. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you from being king. I want us to hear this, church. Partial obedience is complete disobedience, right? And disobedience is rebellion against God. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? God desires not external devotion, but internal submission. God wants the sacrifice. Here it is, church. God wants the sacrifice not of goats and bulls. He wants the sacrifice of your will. That's the sacrifice God is interested in. He says a contrite heart is what I desire. Because a contrite heart and the sacrifice of our will will naturally lead to external devotion. It's not the other way around. It's not external devotion which produces internal submission. It's internal submission that produces external devotion. God's desire is obedience. God's desire is for us to sacrifice our will to him. God told Saul, he said, because you have rejected me, I have rejected you. I want us to understand sin has consequences regardless of how we justify it. Look Look at Saul's response. Look at verse 25. Well, you say, well, Saul repented. Did he? Psalm, verse 25, verse, chapter 15, verse 25. Saul said, Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. He said, I'm sorry that I did this. I made a mistake. Now therefore, pardon my sin. After all, you're the prophet, you're the priest. Pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. I want us to contrast this with Psalm 51, whenever David, a man after God's own heart, not a perfect man, by any stretch of the imagination, 
a man who stayed home from war, who spent the night up on a, uh, the, the roof of his palace, who saw a woman bathing, who called her to his house, who lay with her, who impregnated her, who then sent her husband off to be killed because, because his husband refused to be disloyal to David, had him killed, and when was confronted with his sin, this is what he said. Psalm 51. He said, Be gracious to me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash me from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And you are justified when you speak and you are blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. You desire truth in my innermost beings and in my hidden parts. You will make known wisdom. Cleanse me, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. The bones which you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. This is someone who said, I deserve the consequences that I am receiving. I am broken before you. I see my sin. I understand that while I have transgressed my, while I have sinned against Bathsheba and sinned against Uriah and sinned against Israel, my chief sin is against you. Cleanse me. Purify me because I am in need of you. It's much different than Saul's response. He says, I'm sorry. Pardon me. Let me go and worship God. You see the difference? God desires inward submission and inward sacrifice, which will lead to external devotion. I want to point out While God desires obedience over sacrifice, there was one who fulfilled both. If we're all honest with ourselves, we are all rebellious in nature. We may convince ourselves we may, we may do just like Saul and convince ourselves that, that we're really not that bad. That compared to so-and-so or compared to our friends or compared to our neighbors, that I'm a whole lot better than them. But if we're honest with ourselves, our disobedience is rebellion against God. That we are rebellious and we stand before God condemned. You say, well, John 3.16, God so loved the world. But John 3.18 says this, church. It says, for those who do not believe are condemned already. You say, well, well, preacher, I believe. I believe that, that Jesus died on the cross. Well, we talked about earlier that belief is tied to behavior. Does your behavior demonstrate your belief? Or does your behavior demonstrate your disbelief? If we're honest, we're all rebellious against God and we do not want to honor God with our life because we're sinners and we stand condemned before a holy God but the beautiful truth of the gospel is that God in his great grace saw us in our state of rebellion 
in our state of disbelief, in our state of, of pride and arrogance, and demonstrated His love in the person of Jesus. And Jesus came and became the obedient sacrifice. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, it tells us this. It says that being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross. In verses 9 through 11, it says this. It says that because of that, because he was obedient to Christ, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, both in heaven and earth and under the earth, and at the name of Jesus every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why? Because he was obedient, even to the point of death. God desires obedience over sacrifice. Jesus became obedient, and because he was obedient, God exalted him. John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18 tells, tells us this. It says that no one took the life of Jesus. In fact, he communicates it very clearly and very plainly in John chapter 10. He says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take, take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. So we see in Christ both obedience and sacrifice. The obedience led to the sacrifice. The internal submission of Christ's will led to the sacrifice for the sin of the world. Not the other way around. God's desire for us, church, is obedience. Internal submission of your will that will lead to the external devotion to God. Why do we come to church? It's an internal submission of the will. Why do we give? It's an internal submission of the will. Why do we serve? It's an internal submission of the will that has manifested itself in an external devotion to God. So, this morning, is your disobedience disobedience or rebellion? Well, according to God's word, it's rebellion. The only solution for rebellion is the sacrifice of Jesus. We owe a debt that we cannot pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he solved our rebellion problem. We thank you that while we deserved sin, or while we deserved death, while we deserved judgment, we deserved wrath, sent Jesus to become sin for us, to endure the wrath of God for us. There's those of you out there this morning and you know that you're in need of God's grace. 
that at heart you are a rebel. You are rebellious towards God that that the heart is willing but the flesh is weak. You do the very things you don't want to do and the very things that you want to do you don't do because you're a sinner. And you want this external devotion to God. You want to prove to Him that you want to be you want to follow him that you believe in him but if you're honest with yourself your life demonstrates otherwise Jesus said come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden he said quit trying to fix your life by external devotion and internally submit your will to me God desires obedience more than sacrifice he doesn't want you to become a church member he doesn't want you to get baptized he doesn't want you to to, to get confirmed in the church. He doesn't want you to do all of these external things. He simply wants you to follow Him, submit to Him, and say, Jesus, come and be the Lord of my life. And in doing so, He has promised to change you from the inside out. He'll make His desires your desires. give you the desires of your heart. So ask and it shall be given to you. Knock and the door shall be opened. Seek and you shall find. But we have to first start with an internal submission of the will. That's you this morning. In just a few moments I'll invite you to come. Maybe this morning God is calling you to a deeper commitment to Him. Maybe He's calling you to serve Him more faithfully. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, may you use this moment to do business with God. Maybe you need to grab someone and come to this altar and pray. Whatever it is the Lord is speaking to your heart, may you, may you be obedient today. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Stand